Welcome to the Borderless Podcast, your guide to traveling, investing, and living beyond borders, where we talk about living the life that you want to live where you want to live it. From beautiful San Miguel de Allende, smack in the middle of Mexico, with your hosts, Jonathan Lockwood and James Guzman. Welcome to the Borderless Podcast, traveling, investing, and living beyond borders. This is the podcast where we talk about things like living a location-independent life, where we talk about internationalizing, we talk about living the life of your dreams, interesting people doing interesting things in interesting places. My name's Jonathan Lockwood, and I'm here as always with James Guzman. How you doing, James? I'm doing pretty good, you know. Uh, today, we're doing the podcast a little bit of a different time than normal, and uh, we'll see if people recognize the difference you know i just we just finished uh, dinner here had a couple glasses of wine and uh got a really good guest today so hmm. see if, if people notice the difference in our demeanor doing it at night rather than the middle of the day like usual you ate i didn't eat oh, yet oh. i gotta eat yet so let's <laughs> zo- zoom through this pocket no i'm kidding um but uh yeah yeah so here's the, the here, this is interesting this might this will probably be the last podcast we record before you head off to the uh, to Chile. That's right. Yeah, it's just a couple days now, and I'm going to be getting on a plane over to Chile and right away starting Exosphere down there in Rinaca, close to Vinia del Mar. And it should, I'm pretty excited. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, I've been doing some reading, getting ready for all the kind of a, a technology and business workshops. So I'll definitely be sharing that with you know, the podcast and everybody that follows Borderless. So it's it's going to be a exciting couple months for sure. Exciting is the word. Yeah. Good for you, man. I hope you have a great time. So anyway, we've got to work out some way to do dual Skype calls, which shouldn't mm-hmm. be a problem. We've just never done it before. Yeah. All right. So our guest today on the Borderless podcast is Danny Flood. Danny was born an entrepreneur and was taught business and sales skills by his late father, Jim Flood, the founder of several successful businesses such as Odyssey Golf and Aldila. Danny is the founder of LavaLink, a digital marketing and web design agency based in San Diego. Danny built his first business operation at the age of nine under the tutelage of his father, a trash removal service where Danny and a friend would knock on doors and offer to deliver people's trash to the dumpster. It was a free service. They worked solely for tips. Danny holds a degree in advertising from the Art Institute, where he learned the principles of design, marketing, and sales. And I'm aware that he also has a digital magazine known as Open World. Welcome, Danny Flood, to the Borderless Podcast. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure. Great. Yes. Well, you know, I've been reading about you here and there, and it looks like you are really living the life of someone's dreams. I imagine yours. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who would love to move in the direction of the life that you're living. And uh, I guess, why don't you take us back? I've read a few different stories on where the seed was planted that grew into your decision to just start traveling. When was that? What happened? Yeah, sure. So you kind of really went back there, uh, back to age nine, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I don't know. my, My father kind of really just raised me to be an entrepreneur ever since I was young and always was always teaching me lessons, you know, um, and he, he passed away a few years ago, but uh, a lot of the lessons that he, he taught me stuck with me. And, um, you know, he just said things like, uh, well, never quit, never give up, you know, quitters never win, winners never quit, the cream always rises to the top, you know, all these like lessons that entrepreneurs should know. And I was learning these since I was like seven or eight. Mm. Um, you know, if we went to the arcade, he would, he would make me do, uh, Push-ups if I wanted, you know, money for the video games. Like uh, I get two and a half cents per push-up. That's great. So I'd be there, I'd be there doing like ten push-ups for a quarter, you know, so I could play the games. Like, and he really made me work hard for every uh, cent that I, I earned. Uh, 
so I always had this, this drive to be an entrepreneur, but, um, you know, obviously, like a lot of people, when I, when I graduated, there was the recession going on. My prospects didn't look too bright, and um, I don't know, the default path didn't appeal to me very much, so I set out to find a different way. All right. And how old are you now, Danny? I just turned 30 about three months ago. All right. Well, good for you. It looks like you have been basically living out of a backpack for, what, the last four or five years? Yeah, it's been over five years now, I think. Um, I just, you know, because I look on Facebook and they have the timeline. And um, four years ago, I was I was in South America. I can't believe that time has flown so fast. But um, yeah, it's, it's been over five years now. So I've, I've been pretty much a minimalist. You know, I've... Uh, I've been cutting down on the, how much I own over time so that I just have the bare basics because anything more than that just causes me extra stress. So I have, uh, <laughs> I've, I've given away the books that I owned. Uh, I just have some clothes, my laptop, uh, and just, you know, the basic necessities. <laughs> Did you ever have a traditional job, Danny? Um, I mean, I've tried, but it, it never really worked out too well. I don't think I've had a job for more than like a month or so. I, I, when I was in University. I worked at a publishing office. Where I was making like eight, eight or nine dollars an hour, and I think I had a job for maybe a month or two. And I, I had a job at a factory for like one day. I got fired from that. I, I worked at a resort in South Pacific for less than a month, and then I got let go because um, it was it was really you know I, I want to improve myself on the job. I want to like you know feel like I'm advancing somehow, and I just I felt really bored with the mundane work they gave me, and I felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. So um, you know I, I don't tend to mesh too well with uh, traditional employment. Yeah. For some well, I, yeah. Well, I tell you what, man. I, I, when I look at your uh, the Open World magazine, it's it's uh, pretty incredible. All the the advice you have on here, all the different blog posts. Uh, there's all kinds of things that people can uh, learn from you. It's, it's especially hacks. You've got hacks for all kinds of things, and we want to get into that. But it's pretty incredible, you know. When when you think about, you know, you never had a uh, quote unquote traditional job for so long, but uh, you really know how to do all the the standard you know business things as far as networking and and getting out there and uh, doing email marketing and all this type of stuff. It's it's a really great information on your website. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I really work hard on it, and um, you know one of the reasons why I focus on hacks is because uh, when I boost posts on Facebook, um, you know I write a lot of blog posts, and I notice that when I write like actionable techniques like that, I get a disproportionate amount of clicks. So the, the data showed me that um, you know people liked hacks. So I, I wrote four books about hacks, and that's what I chose to focus on. So I just used the feedback that my market was giving me and decided to write more about that. And I really love to write about hacks as well because I'm really big on personal improvement. And I really try to mesh uh, personal improvement with travel, with entrepreneurship, because I think it's it helps you to do more. And you know, like as a man, I mean, you're always facing challenges, especially in this life. I've been a permanent traveler since uh, 2009, and I think men are, are kind of judged by their level of competence. You know, we're, we're, we go out and do stuff. We fix problems. You know, we solve, we find solutions to problems. And I like to build in leverage to, through the form of hacks to um, kind of tackle some of those challenges. Yeah, that's, that's uh, good that you mentioned that because I saw that it was a comment, I think, on uh, Taylor Pearson, who we both had on our podcast in the past. And I think you said something like, uh, you know, men usually like hacks and women like communities. <laughs> yes, that was a Facebook comment. I, I noticed because I, I had to change my copy on my uh, Indiegogo page because at first I was getting 100% male donations. Yeah. And, uh, and someone gave me some feedback that it, it looks like a, a magazine for men. And uh, she said that, uh, you know, women aren't interested in hacks. They, they want, 
you know, and then she's, she's pointed out to some something in the bottom of the copy that talked about community and, uh, re, you know, uh, support and stuff like this. And, and so I put that at the top of the copy and I started getting more uh, women to back the campaign. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's a great observation, you know, it's something to, for people to think about as they're building these types of, you know, uh, whatever they're trying to build, the networking or, or uh, uh, location-dependent businesses, all this type of thing, no matter what niche it is, you know, it's interesting to look at different uh, observations like that. So, you know, this uh, yeah. Open World magazine looks pretty robust now, but uh, h how long have you had this? Yeah, so I started it about a year and a half ago, uh, oh, wow. April of 2014, mm -hmm. and um, I do all the work myself. I don't have a team or I don't outsource, um, but I, I do try to, like, feature as many cool people as I can to kind of learn from them. You know, I started meeting a lot of people when I was traveling in Southeast Asia, South America, and just like hearing all these stories, and I wanted to have a, a place to put them all. So that's that's how I created uh, Open World Magazine. And, you know, I was actually just thinking of what you said uh, yesterday and, and how, uh, you know, men you know, are interested in these, these hacks and, and why that is. And um, I, I don't know, I, I feel like there, there might be something there, like we've, in our brain, in our own mind, like we tend to feel this sense of uh, reward or um, like pleasure when we when we solve a task. You know, like a sense mm -hmm. of accomplishment when we are faced with a problem during the day and we solve it. And that that feeling of accomplishment, like we get a high from that. So I think that might be the reason why men are so like interested in these hacks because if they have a problem, you know, they they want to to solve it. And and once we do solve it, like we kind of get this rush of energy. So I think, I think there's something interesting in the psychology of both men and women that uh, really motivate them each day and, and drive them on to, to do what they do, I think. Right. Yeah, I guess it's, it's, it sounds like the stereotypical thing, you know, guys like to solve the problem and women like to talk about it or something. Okay, James, that wasn't what Danny was saying. <laughs> but it is, you know, it does. Anyway. No, but you, you know, well, it, it's true. It's like, it, it's a little bit like the, the book, um, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. You know, if, if a man is... Is struggling with something, he'll withdraw to his cave, and he won't come out until uh, either he's numbed himself and forgotten about the problem, or he's he's figured it out. If he can't figure it out, he'll just he'll just tune out and you know play PlayStation. But right. uh, it's it's true. Like women like to talk about their problems, and then you know even if there's no like even if they're not looking for a solution to it, like they feel better from that. Mm -hmm. Right. You know. So it's, it's just, but this is this is something that we look at too. James has been doing. He's done a couple of survey monkeys. And last year, we forgot to ask, well, what is your sex? And so we did it just recently. And so far, we've had a lot of responses. And it's, I, I had guessed that there could be no more than 20% of our audience that was female. Turns out it's 15%, or at least of those who have responded. Although we have some very visible and cool female, loyal listeners of the Borderless Podcast, though, don't we? Mm -hmm, absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, but, but for some reason, it would appear either... I don't know. It just seems like people in this space are overwhelmingly male. You do find certainly female, uh, you know, digital nomads, right? You featured some in some of your articles, right, Danny? Yeah, I've actually interviewed several recently, uh, my podcast. And um, I do find that those interviews with female digital nomads and entrepreneurs uh, tend to do really well. You know, like they, they tend to have a community behind them that really support these interviews. And I tend to get a lot of traffic to the whenever I feature a female uh, entrepreneur or a female digital nomad, maybe because there's, there's something a little bit more extraordinary there because they're more of a, um, I guess, purple cow, you know, because right. you said it's mostly men. Yeah. Um, but I do find that those, those interviews tend to do really well. Hmm. Well, we've got to keep that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> we have to get some more, <laughs> more of those on there. Yeah. Well, we had Amy uh, Scott on. She's a, 
uh, a good friend of mine as well. We we hung out several times. Well, I see she lives here. In, she lives here in San Miguel, the yeah. town that we we mm-hmm. uh, are in now. Yeah, I had Amy Scott. I had Lydia Lee, uh, Kaz Makepeace, Brianna Royal. These are just like in the last four or five episodes. Um, yeah. So that that was something I wanted to focus on. Was I had a disproportionate amount of men, and um, you know I'm, I'm actually proud that we've got more women on the show as well. Yeah. Well, that's cool. You know, I wanted to ask you about your your book. Uh, I actually downloaded it. You had it for free for a few days or something. I remember I, I saw it online. It was Buy Your Own Island. Um, and so I want to ask you, you know, when did you come out with this book? How did you go about writing it? And maybe give some people uh, an idea of what it's about. Yeah, sure. So I published that book, I think, in uh, the end of January of last year. So it's been almost one year now. And um, I followed up on that. I published five books in 2015. Um, so I've learned a lot about publishing and launching books. But uh, By Your Own Island is, the title is a metaphor, you know, because I read this story about uh, this guy Tynan and a couple others, uh, Manish Seti and a few others who actually bought their own island in uh, eastern Canada. And when I was reading that, that article, he said that it was his, his dream since childhood to own his own island, to kind of like create his own country and see what he could build. Uh, and, and, I, and I thought of that as like, you know, it's a perfect symbol of, you know, location, independence and freedom, you know, not being tied down to anything, you know, any job, government, man. Uh, so I, that really kind of represented what I wanted to uh, convey in the book. And uh, writing the book, you know, writing my first book was quite an ordeal. I mean, it took me a, more than a year's worth of work. It was an idea that I had for a while before I started. And, um, you know, I kind of just poured out everything I'd learned, all the knowledge I had in me and created this huge book. It's over 300 pages. Um, but it's all about, you know, the mobile lifestyle and, uh, setting your dream goals and, and creating a plan, having a plan to make them happen. And it's based on, you know, what I, the kind of formula that I developed, um, you know, when I, when I was in 2008, 2007, and I graduated into the recession in 2009, uh, and I, you know, tried my hand at entrepreneurship and felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. So I I really kind of came to define what I actually wanted a lot better rather than trying to, uh, follow along with other people's expectations or goals, you know, that I was reading from other people and trying to follow other successful people. Like I had to dig deep and see what really mattered to me. And, and then that was kind of the, the catalyst to, to building this life. All right. So you are certainly of a certain sort, Danny, and you know, it could make sense that you are that because of the way you were brought up, but there are so many people who want to live this type of borderless life of location independence, but so many of them just aren't able to actualize it. Why do you think it's so easy for some and so difficult for others? Well, one, I think you have to just start, uh, define. That's the first thing. You define what you want. And the problem is a lot of people have really abstract goals. You know, they don't have specific goals that are attainable and measurable. Um, you know, if, if uh, you say like, oh, I want to get in shape in 2016, but you know, how do you measure whether you're actually in shape? How do you measure progress? And I think that you need to have that kind of progress as positive reinforcement to keep going and progress takes the form in a, a, a small sense in, in the beginning but you know like if you want to learn a language for example um, when I first tried to study Japanese uh, not Japanese uh, Chinese uh, I got really frustrated at first because of the tones mm. and then I, I tried again like a year later and I just I just ignored the tones completely and I just started you know practicing the phrases and then I was in Taiwan and I would interact with people and then when they interacted with me back that was that was rewarding you know I mm. felt like I was making progress mm-hmm. And that really pushed me to keep going. Like I was getting excited about it. So I think you need to have those early wins. I think you need to take small steps at first. You have to realize the fact that you are a beginner. And also know that, you know, 
in manned flight, you know, when a rocket ship is, is about to take off, it, spend, it expends 80 to 90 percent of its energy just defying gravity. So that initial takeoff is when you feel the most resistance, uh, the most pain, discomfort. Uh, but like, just like a rocket ship, once it defies gravity, once it's in forward motion, that motion becomes almost effortless to maintain. So it's the same when you have um, a habit or you want to create a new skill or something like this. Um, you know, at first you're going to feel this resistance because it's foreign, it's new. Uh, but once you push through that and you see the, that positive reinforcement, that early results, then you know you can build and continue on that. So if it's something like travel, I mean, I, I applied this, this concept to anything, you know. Um, <clears throat> I, I spent, you know, two months down in Mexico living in Baja just to see if I could disconnect from, you know, the community, you know, where I was at because I was in a business referral group where I was going every week to get clients. Um, and I simplified my business, you know, because I felt like I wasn't getting ahead. And um, I, just, I just went to Mexico for two months to see if I could do it. And that was just a baby step because I could, you know, get in my car and drive back if something went wrong, right. if I need to do damage control. So I think that's really the key is, you know, you need to define what your goal is, have a vision for your life, um, you know, start small and then build on that. I like that rocket ship metaphor. I've always thought of it as like pushing a car. You know, in the beginning, it's like not moving. And you're just grunting and, you know, and, you know, pushing and pushing and pushing. All of a sudden, you're trotting alongside it. So, yeah, most of the work is done in that initial stage. And so I was about to ask you, well, what really do people need to bring about this shift within them that can move them in the right direction? And it sounds like your best advice in that regard is, you know, coming up with very specific goals and plans, right? Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, another part of it is mindfulness. Uh, so when you... When you notice this resistance inside of you, you know, identify it for what it is. Um, say, oh, you know, that's just my own internal resistance. I don't need to beat myself up about it or create this narrative around it, like saying, oh, you know, I can't do this or I'm not capable enough for this or this is for other people. You know, other people can be successful, but I can't. So that, that narrative is really important as well. And, and being able to observe your own thoughts and your emotions in a self-analyzing way is really important because... I mean, even this week, I, I still struggle with things like this because I'm trying to grow my business. And, you know, Tuesday, I was researching public speaking and, and how to get into that. And, and Wednesday, I was researching, you know, uh, sponsorship opportunities. And, and these are things I don't know anything about. You know, I, I focus on other things in my business. So I feel that same internal resistance whenever I'm trying to do something new, but I know that it's important and significant. Um, so it's, it's definitely a struggle. You know, you have to learn a lot about it. You have to realize, okay, is this worth my time? Um, there's, there's always going to be that struggle, but it's, it comes with the territory if you want to, to push the frontier, if you want to push the boundaries in new directions. So you have to be able to observe that and when it's happening and notice that, oh, you know, that's just that internal resistance. That's just that, uh, that defying gravity, you know, that inertia. But I can push through it and, and not beat yourself up about it when it happens. Know thyself. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, you know, and, and it seems like you've done, uh, you know, very well with, you know, you have the book and this, uh, the uh, Open World magazine that's, uh, you know, like I said, it's got some just really great information if people are interested in this type of thing. Uh, but you talk about hacks with a lot, you know, on a lot of different subjects. You've got hacking email, hacking dating, hacking freelancing, hacking, hacking lots of things. Um, maybe we could move on to, uh, you know, networking. I see that, you know, if, if people look at your website, they'll see that you have lots of people on there that, uh, you know, are very influential and you've written some blog posts on, uh, you know, how to do that, how to get in touch with people that might be able to help you in the, in these areas. And what are some of the, you know, the the, the quote unquote hacks that that are helpful to people that might want to uh, reach out to other people in their industry? 
Yeah. Um, well, that's, that's a big question. Uh, I think it starts with, um, you know, you have to have a, a mission or a vision for your life. Uh, nobody wants to connect with someone who uh, has no sense of direction in their life, you know, who has nothing going on. You can't approach a successful person and say, hey, you know, I want to do something amazing, but I don't know what. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you help me? You know, I've, I've had people email me like that, and I'm like, well, I don't even know you or know where to start, and it's not my job to fix your life, you know. But if, right. if you have something... <laughs> If you have something that's like big that's driving you, and, and if, if you're really you know confident, like um, like Jamie Tardy, you know, like she's she embodies that where she's the eventual millionaire, you know, and she has this mission that she puts out on her website and everywhere, um, you know, that that's something that easy people can identify with, and you know, 20% of the people that you meet are going to want to help you with that, you know, maybe not everyone, but a good portion of them will want to help you get to those to that goal if it's a big goal. So, I think that's that's the key um, in terms of you know outreach or networking. I mean, I have a whole bunch of stuff I could, I could talk about, but uh, mm -hmm. let me know what you're most interested in. No, yeah, I don't know. You know, you ha like I said, if people are interested in this, you know, you have a whole kind of, I, I believe it's hacking networking or something like that. Um, you know, and I think that one thing that uh, a lot of people uh, do that's not the best is, you know, think about if you're going to reach out to somebody like that, you want to make it very, very easy for them to help you, you know, with whatever, you know, asking for whatever it is that you uh, you know, want them to do, or you'd like for them to do, or how you can, how you can collaborate or something like that instead of them having to come up with something. Yeah. And podcasting actually works really great for that. Podcasting yeah. is a great way to, to network and build connections. Um, because almost no one will ever say no to being interviewed for a podcast. Um, you know, unless they're really busy <laughs> yeah. or, um, you know, that, that's a great ask. Um, you know, in, anytime that you can like collaborate with people, you know, like, uh, you know, in a win-win way, um, that's kind of low commitment. That's always great as well. Um, I, I think it's it's really important. Like you know, I've, I studied NLP when I was younger. Like oh. I, I try to tell people to use like positive language. Um, you know, uh, use positive subject lines, especially when you express gratitude. Like you say, like oh, I loved your article, or thank you for that post or that podcast. I really learned something from that. Um, because you want to welcome that, well, you want them to welcome that correspondence from you. You want to make them feel good when they receive your email. Mm -hmm. um, don't use like boring daft subject lines. Uh, one thing that works really well is this is from the book uh, Influence. Uh, use reciprocity. So if you're like, you know, reaching out to a podcast or say, I, I really liked your podcast, I left you a review, um, and I would love to see if you could we want to have me on your podcast because this is what I've done. But, but you engage that reciprocity in advance by doing a favor for them. So that that's a really effective tactic. Um, I, I can't I, believe I you're you're talking about Robert Cialdini's book. That's such a classic. I love that book. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, it's it's a, yeah. I mean, I, I have an advertising degree, and I, I started an I started an advertising agency after college. So I read everything I could about advertising. You know, Claude Hopkins, David Ogilvy, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. uh, Robert Cialdini. Um, so so yeah. I mean, there, there's six weapons of influence in that book, and. I think they're, they're all good, good to know, you know, social proof, authority, all these things help for sure. And, and that's a great place to start. I'd also recommend my book, uh, Hack Email, so it has a lot more information in there. Yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. And then also you have, uh, it might be kind of not, uh, well, we'll move on to this one, hacking uh, Upwork and freelancing. Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of people that think that maybe, you know, working on Upwork or these other types of websites uh, freelancing, you're not going to make a lot of money, but uh, have you met some people that have that have been able to make a, a good living on these types of websites? Uh, yeah, I know plenty of people. I've I've been able to to make good income from Upwork as well. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, not, not exactly from Upwork, but from clients that I, I met through Upwork, you know, who were like in uh, Italy or Canada or the UK. Um, and then they, they hired me for ongoing work. And that's, that's actually something I talk about in my book, Hack Upwork, in the introduction, is that in any field, in any industry, there's, you know, the, the herd of people, maybe 80% who are struggling or just getting by. And then there's, you know, like 5 to 10% who are the standouts who are thriving. And that's, that's the reason why I write books about hacks is because I want to focus on, you know, what separates the 5 to 10% and how can we get there in the shortest amount of time possible. Yeah. And on a platform like Upwork, I mean, sure, there's plenty of people competing for bottom feeding jobs, but there are people, you know, clients on there with deep pockets. And first you have to find them and then you have to have like a, a brand so that you can show that you can communicate them on the right level. And I think any time that you come in at, in applying for a job or a contract where um, you're like the, the contractor and they're the boss, that's not really going to work. You know, you have to have like more knowledge about the subject than the client. Mm. You have to be the expert. You know, you have to bring something to the table that they don't have. And I think that's that's a big part of it. Yeah. Is there are there any specific skills that you can you know, I know that these change, you know, very rapidly. So are there any specific skills that you know of that are on these types of freelance websites that uh, are in high demand right now? People might you know want to think about learning. Well, I think a good one for most people to start with is sales. I mean, sales is always going to be important, and it, it changes forms, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how you reach how you reach customers, how you market. Um, but whenever you can deliver leads to the business, I think that's that's always very valuable, and that's one of the things I do best is uh, email outreach. So that's that's why the reason why I wrote that book because I've done these campaigns for clients where they give me this huge list of like hundred thousand potential leads, and then they they you know have me do the dirty work of you know trying to get these people in the funnel. So I think that's that's a valuable skill. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, and there's there's a lot of programming skills out there. Yeah. Um, but I know, I know that a lot of people aren't technical. So, um, but you know, public relations is a good one. Um, you know, anytime you can help people to earn more money, that then you're on the right track. Boy, I hear that, Danny. In a minute, I want to come back and talk to you a little bit about dating because you wrote a really well-read article, well-written article. On that, But right now, we need to take just a moment and give some attention to our sponsor. Today's Borderless Podcast is brought to you by The Condescending Group, your slobberingly effusive leader in appearing virtuous to others. This week, The Condescending Group brought in self-described femithiest Krista Milburn for a local live event. She's noted for advancing the goal of reducing males to only 10% of the population through sexually manipulated designer babies and an international castration day. As Milburn was interviewed on stage, she was asked certain challenging questions like, if female genital mutilation is bad, how can actual male castration be good? Her answer, subjecting a woman to the forced mutilation of her body is sick and repugnant, but when doing so to males, not so much. The second question, since you believe that after males are removed to breeding communities, women will eventually choose lesbianism, are you saying that homosexuality is a choice? She paused and replied, hmm, I may need to rethink that question in order to arrive at an answer that both condemns right-wing Christian groups who claim the same thing, but somehow vindicates my own such assertion as nuanced and wise. And a third question, how is it you believe the world you describe is kind when it involves the extermination of men who won't agree to castration? At this point, she cocked her head to the side and said, because man, bad, woman, good, what about this don't you get? 
Our friends at the Condescending Group have been humbled in the face of this magnificently contorted logic and have vowed to exterminate and or castrate all but 10% of their male employees. Stay tuned for all the action at thecondescendinggroup.com. The Condescending Group, they care more than you. Okay, we're back to the Borderless Podcast talking with Danny Flood. So I noticed one of your one of your other favorite or or uh, well read articles is called the Complete Gentleman's Guide to Hacking Dating Around the World. So it looks like you just wrote that a little over a year ago. Um, what is the current state of online dating? Would you say, Danny? Um, yeah, so I have a girlfriend now, but I don't do a lot oh. of those uh, tactics anymore. But, okay. Um, yeah, I, I actually, um, I don't write about this topic too often because I don't want to be associated with uh, being a dating expert, but um, it's, it's the same as any other principle, you know, like a lot of people are, are acting uh, acting in a way that doesn't serve their best interests and they don't even realize it. So, I mean, we, you see a lot of, uh, if you ever, if you ever talk to a woman who puts an ad on Craigslist, it's almost unanimous that she's going to get, you know, 200 to 300 photos of guys' penises. Uh, sorry, can I say that on the show? Yes. Okay. You can say that and worse, my friend. <laughs> and so Remit Seti actually calls that the, the Craigslist penis effect. So, um, <laughs> Well, we've had Remit on, intent. by the way. Remit was on. No, what? not Remit. We had oh, I'm sorry. Manish. No, we had Manish. We had his brother, yeah, we had Manish. His brother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we want Remit, though. So it kind of just tells you how poorly, you know, the rest of the people are doing in, in I guess, your market. So in this case, uh, men, you know, at dating. So if you can just kind of stand out and, and be different in a unique way, um, you can have great success. And um, in that post, I, I kind of share some of the best hacks that I've used in, I guess, Tinder and other dating sites that, um, I mean, basically work, you know, 80 to 90% of the time. Yeah. So Yeah, lots of, lots of good tips on there, guys, if you're looking at dating. But I will say that, you know, <laughs> in Latin America, you put that, you know, you, you, you haven't had any luck at all on um, – uh, social meet on the uh, dating websites, and uh, I've uh, found many girls off uh, social media websites. So if you're in Latin America, you, you're better off going to me. Send me an email. Yeah, listener to the podcast, <laughs> Floyd Wayne Shackelford came here. Oh yeah, and he was running to Querétaro every day, you know, with some new girl from Tinder or one of those sites. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah. I don't know about. I mean, so online dating didn't work so well when I was down there, but this was four years ago. No, um, yeah, it's definitely. You know, it, it's taking a while. You know, as far as the. You know, and that's one thing, you know, is, is the, uh, these different dating websites, they certainly don't work anywhere near as well as they do in the United States, you know, Tinder or the rest of these down here in Latin America. But, uh, I have gotten to, you know, last few years, I haven't gotten them to work pretty well. So it works really well in Asia, actually. I think in Asia, it's even Mm. uh, bigger than in in North America. Okay. Uh, but it's, it's quite funny, you know, when, when we were back in, when I was back in California, my friend, uh, John and I. Uh, we downloaded this this macro for Firefox, and we went on POF.com, and we recorded this macro where we hit meet me on every single girl we saw, it, mm-hmm. and then we could loop, we could loop that same action. So you know, on Sunday night we went to bed and we were sending out like 5,000 emails to people, <laughs> yeah. to girls, saying you know, uh, this guy wanted to, wants to meet meet up with you, and then suddenly we wake up in the morning and we'd have like you know 200 emails in our inbox. Yeah, genius. Well, you know that's funny. <laughs> I mean that that is like. Um, you know, th- that's the strategy. I think it's always been for like this online dating stuff is just send out tons and tons of, of emails and maybe you'll get some back. Cause like you said, the, you, most of the girls get so many emails on the other side, but, uh, yeah, it's, I, I've been playing around with that stuff for a long time. I was on like 
uh, MySpace back back when it was like a, a dating website back in like two thousand and six or seven. So yeah, it's 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 pretty interesting. Danny, tell us about Lava Link. What do you do with Lava Link? Uh, Lava Link was my first business, so that okay. was my digital marketing marketing agency that mm-hmm. I started. Okay. And um, basically, it was an agency where we do uh, graphic design, web design, SEO, uh, standard online marketing, video marketing uh, for our clients. And that was kind of the premise which I, I built, uh, so I wrote my first book around, was uh, my experience creating that business and, and creating an advertising business. And, um, and turning that business from uh, what I call a half business, which is hard, annoying, lame, and frustrating, to an elf business, which is easy, lucrative, and fun. And... A big part of that was when I transitioned from uh, not chasing clients all the time, not chasing new clients, but creating new services to offer to my existing client base. And that's, that's when it, I created a lifestyle business where I was only working 10 hours a week and I could outsource a lot of the work was because um, clients who work with me on, on other things, uh, you know, they would be open to like pay-per-click advertising or SEO and I could charge a retainer to do that for them. And that was, that was when things became a lot easier because I didn't have to go around, you know, going to networking meetings. I didn't have to go meet people for coffee or lunch just to try to, you know, get business when the business deal wouldn't even go anywhere in the first place or in the end. But um, that, that was a big part of it. So that was, um, I mean, I learned a lot from that. I, I created a, a client relationship uh, system, created systems for that business. But the, the main, most important one was the customer care system. And I had I identified different milestones within the process of working with clients where an event would occur and I would offer them some gift or something that would go above and beyond what they expect from a company like mine. So if they sign a contract, for example, like I'll send them a nice letter uh, with like a gift card, something like this in the mail, just to kind of go above and beyond. And I just, I just took these ideas from like, uh, you know, AAA, for example, like I get a, a letter from AAA from the vice president of the company. And I, I would just like copy that and well, not copy it, but I, I would you know, use that as a template and just write my own letter and just kind of, kind of go above and beyond in that aspect. All right. And are so, you, do you still have many clients? Are you, you shifting your focus to open world now? Uh, I, I don't work with many freelance clients. I have consulting clients, but I, I have like a lot of new things that I'm doing now. So I, I kind of got bored with that business uh, about three years ago. And that's when I started to write a book and kind of went a different direction. So. All right. Now, as, as far as your, this, the, the open world magazine, is this a physical magazine that people can order or is this all online, right? At the moment, I have a blog, podcast, and uh, it's going to be a digital magazine. Okay. So, yeah, no, it's interesting. Yeah, it's going to be available through iTunes. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm just interested. You know, I'm interested in how you know different. I like always. I like to keep on top of how things are are changing as far as you know new media and stuff like that. So, you know, how does this uh, this model work? Do people buy your your magazine, or is it all free, or how does that work? It's a subscription-based magazine, so okay. each episode, uh, each issue is worth uh, $2.99, so pretty low cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason that I want to shift in this direction is because uh, uh, the shelf life of a blog post is very uh, small, and uh, you know, blog content isn't inherently valued too highly, uh, but I think moving to a subscription model allows you to have greater control over the content, over the quality of the content. Uh, it's just like, you know, the natural evolution of traditional publishing where, you know, hundred years ago, uh, we had these cheap newspapers that were sold for like a nickel on the street and you have, you know, people trying to call out to sell these newspapers and, you know, the quality of the, the content wasn't very good. But once we moved to like a subscription based model, like with the New York times, uh, the quality of the content went up a lot. 
So I think, I think there's an opportunity in this, this paid subscription model, and I really wanted to focus on quality rather than churning out a lot of articles on my blog to get like SEO traffic, for example. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, that's interesting. And I think that, you know, as far as for people that want very up-to-date uh, information that's, uh, you know, analyzed by somebody that, that they trust, then a subscription-based model definitely, you know, that I think that's where things need to go. You know, people have to, uh, these people have to find a way to get paid somehow or another, you know, and the, the ads are not working as they used to. Yeah, there's so much content out there, and it's it's really tough to stand out. And I yeah. think that um, if you can establish that, I guess, herd, like John, Dan Kennedy says, that if you mm. can, uh, you know, get people who are really passionate about what you offer and then just kind of over-deliver for them, I think that's a much easier route to take than to, uh, you know, try to get as many leads or as much traffic as possible. I don't really focus too much on web traffic that much these days. I think it's better to have just like a small client base that you cater to and just focus on revenues and offering offering products to that base that loves what you what you do and buy everything that you own. That's that's called the one thousand true fans mm -hmm. uh, concept. You're a reader, Danny Flood. You are. Um, let's <laughs> let, let's talk about then what you're doing right now. You've got an Indiegogo campaign going for Open World Magazine, right? Yes, I do. It's it's actually uh, about to wrap up in about. 16 days now, but it's, it's 93% of the way there. Excuse so, me, um, if you check it now, you'll notice it's 97% funded because I just went ahead and chose a gold subscription. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jonathan. You're amazing. <laughs> no, but I thought, so I get a two-year digital subscription plus a thank you on our website. That's why I did it. No, <laughs> free 30-minute free consultation? Okay, I hope this this podcast doesn't count. And a digital <laughs> copy of all five of my books. That's go. that's good. I'm looking forward to reading those. So so. Uh, Thank you so much, Jonathan. I appreciate it. <laughs> you bet. You're only sixty dollars off, and you've got sixteen days left. You you you'll probably be good by morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with the Indiegogo, I, I mean, it's my first Indiegogo campaign that I've launched, and just like anything else, when you do something new, I mean, you, you put it off. I, I put this off for a while. Um, you know, because I, I wasn't sure what to ha what I wanted to do. And at first, I, I wanted to set a goal of like ten thousand dollars or twenty five thousand dollars. And uh, but then I, you know, I realized like you know, just I want to start small. I want to take a baby step, and I don't need a whole lot of money to launch an app. So I just I set the goal to two thousand two hundred to kind of cover my expenses for the first few months. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's it's a just a lesson for anybody in life. You know, I think you know, start small, and you can always do more crowdfunding campaigns once you learn and. I've, I've learned quite a bit from from this experience, and uh, I think part of it was when I when I was about to launch this campaign, I got really overwhelmed by all of the crowdfunding information online, you know, because I had all this conflicting advice. I didn't know what to actually try for my campaign, and um, I, I decided, you know, I learned something from that experience. I learned that I'm just going to focus on my strengths, and you know, my first strength was email outreach, and I found that in this campaign, one-on-one uh, -on -one email outreach worked the best for getting pledges. Uh, things like you know guest blogging, trying to pitch the press. I didn't focus too much on that. I found that you know, it was one-on-one -on -one email outreach worked really well, mm. and I, I think it was instructive because I think you need to, to identify what your strengths are as an entrepreneur and and try to play those up as much as you can and kind of ignore the things that you're not good at. Yeah. No. You know, I think that this is uh, you know really fascinating. The you know whole crowdfunding uh, revolution and you know a lot of people don't know all the stuff that's going on in crowdfunding. I actually met the. CEO of Indiegogo, um, February or March of this year, and uh, listened to a speech that he had to give. And, you know, it's just amazing. A lot of the things that, that they're doing and that they have planned 
that it's just going to change the whole landscape of, uh, of business in general and, you know, governance and all kinds of different things. It's, you know, if, if people haven't looked into it, I would recommend people do. And I'd like to have a, maybe we'll do a podcast or something on, on, on that in the future. But uh, what, what were some of the, the main things that you learned, you know, when you were setting up this, this is your first Indiegogo campaign, what would you recommend other people? You know, what are some of the, the things that you learned? What would you recommend that, um, you know, other people do if they might be thinking about uh, getting into the world of crowdfunding? Yeah, sure. So it kind of mirrors what I, what I told you already. Um, but I think what was really important, uh, a couple things that were important to me. Hold on, I'm getting my notes out here. Uh, my bag. <laughs> uh, one, one topic I talk about in my book is called Mindstorming. And um, in, this, in this case, what worked really well for me is um, when I was about to launch this, this campaign, I, I needed to have like confidence, you know, because I knew if I wasn't confident, I wouldn't succeed. So I, I just wrote, you know, like, uh, open world crowdfunding success. And then I just wrote on this page, you know, reasons why I will succeed at this crowdfunding campaign. And I just wrote, you know, like eight or nine different reasons of why I would be successful. And that, that really helped a lot because, you know, when you're going out and you're, you're pitching people, you know, pitching to your friends, trying to ask for money, like it, you feel kind of low about it. But, but when you can kind of get in the mindset, you know, say like, you have to really be in that, that right mindset before you start. And you have to be confident. You have to be sure that you're giving value uh, to people, that you're not spamming them. Um, and I think that, you know, another thing that helps too is, uh, whenever I'm about to like start a day where I have to do outreach, um, you know, like email my friends on Facebook to tell them about the campaign is I will, I will open what I call like tickler files and Dan Kennedy calls this uh, tickler files, um, to kind of like, you know, get myself in that right mindset before I begin. Uh, so I, I have, you know, like some, I'll read like a couple of blog posts about other people who have done outreach, you know, via email. And then I'll just look at what they're doing and I'll say, oh, you know, other people are doing this too. So there's nothing wrong with me emailing people to tell them about my campaign. You know, this is my dream here. I shouldn't feel guilty about, you know, like that I'm spamming people or feel icky about it. So I, I really try to get in that mindset before I begin, whenever I'm you know, going to focus on working on this crowdfunding campaign. And I think, you know, writing out all the reasons why you're going to be successful at something uh, really helps you to, to act in a way that will make you successful. So it's so, eight. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Go ahead. Uh, probably not the answer you were expecting, but uh, you know that that's what's worked really well for me. <laughs> All right. So it's eight thirty a.m. in Bangkok, Thailand, where you are right now, right, Danny? Uh, yes. And and you're in a eight twenty nine. Okay, thank you. <laughs> and, it, and it's you're in a Starbucks. Yes. All right. So I guess I thought you know you've been talking to us about all of the things that you've been doing to kind of. Uh, sort of finance and fund fuel this life that you're living. Let's talk about the life. How many countries have you been to anyway? It's been over 30 now. Uh, I think 32 or 33. I, I lost count, but um, yeah, it's been good. I mean, I went to, I guess, only nine countries last year, uh, which is kind of a low number for me. But um, this, this year I have some pretty big trips planned. Uh, I actually, I, I've got emailed by a Discovery Channel uh, about a television series in South America. So I'm, I'm considering whether I'm going to try to be involved in that as well. Awesome. That sounds really cool. And, yeah, and go ahead. <laughs> Tell us more about that if you can. Yeah, it's called Treasure Quest, uh, but it's, it, it's for three months in the, the middle of a year, and um, they really require like a lot of wilderness survival skills. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not too uh, – <laughs> I don't know if I'm an expert at that, but I, I – did just download the book by Neil Strauss, uh, Emergency. Yeah. So if I can brush up on that <laughs> in advance. <laughs> yeah, you're going to need that. 
Are you, what, what country are you supposed to meet them in? I'm not sure, but I was looking at last season's episodes and, um, you know, they were talking about like dangers of snakes and stuff, you know, like, and it's all this stuff. So I'm a little bit uh, nervous, but uh, uh, be I'm fun. sure it'll work out fine. <laughs> South America, snakes, piece of cake. <laughs> it'll be fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so one thing I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm also trying to do public speaking, as I said, and um, booking, you know, different, trying to get on in other conferences like in Singapore, uh, India, uh, China. So I'm trying to I'm trying to kind of co- combine that business and travel at the same time and, um, you know, kind of promote the brand and expand. Yeah. Well, let's go. So now that you've been to all these countries, let me ask you, you know, a lot of people that listen to this show are very interested in different countries, what they're like to live there, the cost of living, stuff like that. Uh, what are some of, maybe if you could give the top five countries, uh, if you were to, you know, if you're ready to settle down right now, what might be the top five that you would consider? Um, it's, it's really tough. I, I really like Thailand a lot. You know, that's, that's why I'm based here. I've been based here for the last year uh, because uh, the cost of living is really low. The quality of life is really high. Um, the, the speed of Wi-Fi is pretty decent. It's it's best better than most places in South uh, Southeast Asia. Um, I, I do like some some places in South America. I like Buenos Aires. I liked uh, Florianopolis. Um, Florianopolis had some issues with the Wi-Fi. There's a bit difficulty at Wi-Fi at times, uh, but it's a beach town, so that's to be expected. Um, I, I like Luang Prabang in Laos. I like uh, gosh, I like Medellin, Colombia. It's mm. really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hear. Yeah, Budapest, who, Budapest who doesn't put that on their list these days? Medellin. <laughs> yeah, Buda, Budapest is really good in uh, Eastern Europe. Um, yeah, I mean, it really just depends what you're into. I, I find that it's it's really nice to have a base and just kind of base yourself there. And, uh, you know, you can make trips from there. Uh, I, I take like micro adventures and from Bangkok where I'll travel other parts of Thailand or other parts of Southeast Asia. And then I can return to the comforts of my, my condo when I get back. So it's really nice. What's it like living in Bangkok there? Give, give us an idea about what a what like a single person could get a one-bedroom apartment. What is the range of cost for that? Um, well, I think it's pretty easy to get like a – it depends what you're looking for, you know, how much luxury, how much comfort you want, what you need. Um, but I think, you know, it's pretty easy to get something for like 6000 baht, which I guess is about $175 or so. Oh, my God. $175? Wow. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it really depends. I mean, I, I haven't paid for uh, rent in quite a while. So, because um, at, the, at the moment, I'm, I've been house sitting for the last like three months. Oh, okay. So, I have a really nice condo, which uh, this condo where I'm staying is about 18000 a month because it's in like the most expensive area. Uh, but I, I found a house getting gig. So, yeah. I've been staying for free. Yeah, hey, uh, that's great. Let, let's talk about that for a second. Um, okay. I, yeah, because I do the same thing. I, I like to house sit a lot. I've been house sitting. I found some really great, great. Uh, gigs doing that and you know if people don't believe it it's actually you know this is something that is real uh you can go and find people that are willing to pay you to live in their amazing houses and you know sometimes uh you have to take care of their dogs or something like that and which me i don't mind at all but um what so when you do these house sitting gigs where do you first of all where do you find these uh these jobs and uh you know uh how, how do you go about uh doing that how do you go about finding your customers yeah sure so, so it's, it's just like anything else you know where you know 80 percent of the people are struggling because they're all doing the same thing i guess mm-hmm. um and in my experience 
if you use websites like um, what's the one? Mind My House is one house sitting Trustedhousesitter.com. I've heard Trusted House Scissors is a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one called Workaway, Workaway which I've yeah. tried. I, I use Workaway to find a, uh, a project in Taiwan. I was building a village in Taiwan for about a month, um, volunteer work. But uh, the thing with a lot of these sites is they're very competitive. You know, There's a lot of people trying to compete for the same jobs. So you really need to try to identify how you can be different, how you can have an advantage. Uh, with this current house sitting, I mean, I, I, just, I didn't use any of those websites. I just used Facebook. And... There's a lot of Facebook groups out there, you know, in different cities where uh, locals will post, you know, expats will post saying, uh, you know, I need someone to house it for my cat for a month or something like that. So I actually found this current house sit through, um, it's a Facebook group called Desperately Seeking Bangkok. Or no, 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 excuse me, Take, take Over My Lease Bangkok. Mm. Uh, so I just, I just looked in there, you know, and then, then I, when I applied, I, I made sure that I responded really quickly. So I was the first one to, to email her. Mm-hmm. And um, I really set myself apart because I have like 20 different questions that I send to a house sitter. Uh, so like, you know, I'll ask like all these really like, you know, good questions. Like, is the cat, you know, chipped and microtagged? Is there, um, you know, like all these really like, you know, to show that I, I know what I'm doing, to show that I'm an expert. And that really helps me stand out from other house sitters, like how I approach them, how I reach out to them. Yeah, it's, that's a great idea. You know, I think that this whole, uh, you know, realm of house sitting is something that is kind of being neglected. I tell you what, at least in this city that I, uh, you know, I've been spending a lot of time in the, the San Miguel de Allende, uh, there's a lot of people that are desperately in need of trusted house sitters. And even with these websites that are online and stuff like that, they have a lot of trouble doing it. And they just go through word of mouth, people that they know and stuff like that. And that's normally how I get my gigs, but it seems like there could be someone that come in that could come in and innovate this uh, market somehow. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a lot of prospects out there who aren't on these websites, you know, who aren't on trusted house sitters, but they need a house sitter. And um, there's there's some sales expert, some uh, sales author. Uh, he said something called it's called selling in a vacuum. I don't know which author it was, but basically, what selling in a vacuum means is when you are presenting to a prospect one-on-one where to them you're the only option, that's, that's a highly um, idealized scenario. That's, that's a highly um, valuable scenario. But if, if you go on a website where uh, the house sitters outnumber the house sitting gigs by like 100 to 1, that's not desirable. Hmm. So whenever you can sell in a vacuum. So an example of that would be like if you knock on someone's door you know, and you're door-to-door prospecting. Um, you're delivering your pitch one-to-one to the prospect face-to-face, and you don't have all of your competitors you know, over your shoulder waiting to, to try to pitch them afterwards. Uh, so whenever you can engineer a scenario where um, you're uniquely positioned or you're uniquely reaching out to them in a way that other people aren't reaching them, then that's, that's highly desirable. Absolutely, and I think that's a good you know, practical uh, strategy, what you were saying as far as Facebook groups, if you can get into a Facebook group that's a local uh, city, wherever you, you are that you're visiting or you're living. And if you can get in there, and it's kind of like a classified Facebook group and post that you're interested in, whether it be uh, house sitting or whatever it is, you kind of have a, a very small market that you're able to, uh, to market to. So that's a good strategy. Yeah, I have a post on my blog about uh, hacking networking. Mm. Um, anywhere you go and um, I'm... I don't have it pulled up right now, but uh, you know some some of the things I do like I'll try to pre-network before I go to a city, mm-hmm. uh, before I go to a new city. Like I'm planning to travel to 
Hin, for example, it's another part of Thailand. Uh, I'll, I will go on Facebook groups and I'll just post. I'll say, you know, hey, I'm my name's Danny. I'm from the U.S. Uh, I've written five books and I'm coming to Hua Hin next week. Uh, anyone want to meet up? And I'll I'll just post in these groups. I'll post on couch surfing, um, and then that way I have like you know contacts lined up in that city before I even step foot there. Yeah, uh, I think that's that's really big and that really helps enrich your experience. Um, you know, I'm trying to mix that. Like this year, I'm trying to take it higher by combining public speaking. So if I want to go travel somewhere like to India, for example, I'll try to set up, you know, conferences and, and gigs that way. Because that way you can kind of get like that superstar status when you arrive because all these people see you speaking and then suddenly yeah. you're coming in with really high value. And, and that, then they want to network with you even more. Absolutely. So. No, that's a good strategy. Yeah, for sure. So, so you're yeah. getting a, a lot of, so you've had your website for about a year and a half now. Your uh, uh, book, I believe you said you wrote it about a year ago and now you're getting speaking gigs. So, uh you know, that's good. How's that, uh, how's that been going for you? You've been a lot of people that have wanted you to speak at their uh, conferences and stuff like that? Yeah, it's, it's been going well. I've kind of just been um, in the information collecting phase, so I've, I've been you know, collecting prospects and starting to reach out to them. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've done some you know, volunteer speaking in the past you know, at, at universities, but I want to try to turn it into like paid engagements. Yeah. So trying to, build, trying to build up a portfolio of work. It's one of my goals in 2016. And... Um, yeah, I mean, my, my strategy is, you know, I have a brand and I just, I want to try to be on as many platforms as possible, you know, get out there, um, just kind of spread the word as much as I can. And, and that's why I'm, I'm on Amazon, I'm blogging, I have podcasts, I have, yeah. I'm trying to be on all these different platforms, you know, just, just to find the people who are out there. Well, that's awesome, man. We, we, we appreciate you coming on our uh, platform here and, you know, I, I don't know when it will be possible, but we'd eventually like to put together some type of a, a conference or something here we can have some people uh you know speaking and stuff like that and you know if we could have some people like you and others then that would be that would be really great so we'll see how that turns out you know and i've got a nice big second bedroom here and uh you can surf a bed instead of a couch <laughs> danny hey you, i don't know if it ever makes sense to ask a person who's 30 so i'm like going on 20 years older than you. I don't, I don't know if somebody had asked me when I was 30, where do you see your life? But like, you're, you're just bouncing around everywhere and it's cool. Will there come a point when it will seem a little bit less cool? Oh yeah, there's, there's definitely times when it, it feels like it's not worth it, right. um, where you get down and you struggle. I, I had to deal with this yesterday where I just felt like I was way too spread thin and I just felt overwhelmed because I have all these different you know projects and opportunities that I wanted to seize. and. Uh, I had, I felt like I had to cut back, you know, I had to cut back on a lot of my appointments and stuff and just like postpone them. So there, there are times, I mean, but that, that comes with the territory, like either you're pushing the envelope or you're staying still. Right. So either you're challenging yourself mm. or you're stagnant. So, but what I'm, what I mean specifically is like, you know, you're moving, you're staying in different places. Is there ever going to come a time when you're going to want to like have a home base when you're going to want to maybe cut back to a degree on the travel that you do? Um, well, I mean, I do kind of have a home base now. I mean, you guys you are based in San Miguel de Allende. Oh, okay. um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm based here in Thailand. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I'll stay here. I, I'm staying on tourist visas, so I'll stay here maybe two months, and then that gives me time after two months I'll go plan a trip. Uh, like I went to Indonesia for four weeks or something, and just traveling over land in Sumatra, you know, just like kind of wore me out. It was adventurous and fun, but I was ready to come back to, to Bangkok and, and be comfortable in my air-conditioned condo. <laughs> so I, I do find there's a nice balance. Like I'll, I'll work really hard for like a couple months and then I'll, I'll take a few months off or not a few months, uh, a few weeks off or something and go travel. 
But you know what I mean. I mean, it's like like you're not renting a place right now. There's there's a limit. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about like having your place. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Um, but then, you know, home is wherever you are. I mean, it's I, I have everything I own in a backpack. So <laughs> okay, and so uh, you you think you'll be good with that from here on out? Um, eventually, you know, I have plans to to build a, a villa here in Thailand um, in the next couple of years. So there we go. That, that'll be nice. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> where 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 are you planning to do that? Um, I'm looking at a couple of places here in Thailand. I have a few places in mind, but uh, not 100 certain yet. Yeah. Great. Well, I'll tell you what, Danny, you got it uh, figured out. It sounds like you are doing well with your uh, with your magazine there, and you got uh, your second book coming out here soon. And uh, you know, we, we normally ask the uh, people that come on our podcast one question: that is, if somebody is thinking about doing something similar to what you've done, maybe taking their their life into their own hands, what is the best piece of advice that you would give them? Yeah, sure. So I want to say I actually have my sixth book coming out. Right. Uh, oh. I, I, five, five books last Sorry. year. Sorry. <laughs> right. Yeah, you said second, but that, that's all right. No worries. Um, yeah, so if, if you want to get started, I mean, it kind of goes back to what we talked about in the beginning. Um, you know, define what your goals are. Uh, check, check the dreamlining exercise in the four-hour work week uh, because it, it forces you to define it and do what I did. I, I got together with, you know, four or five of my friends in a coffee shop one day, and we held each other accountable. We all did this exercise together. And you have to say, you know, what are the three or four biggest goals that would change my life? And you write those out and you put a star next to them. And then you say, what do I need to do today? What do I need to do tomorrow? What do I need to do the next day? What is it going to cost? You know, what's my investment in time, money to make this happen? And then once, once you define that, uh, then you can give yourself steps to act on it. And then you do the mindstorming exercise where you say, this is my goal. And then you write out all the things that you're going to do and you just do them every day. And, um, you know, another thing I like to tell people is, is you have to start with your end goal in mind, and this kind of exercise kind of helps you to do that. Um, you know, if you want to become a master chess player, most people, most beginners start with learning opening moves. But the experts, like Josh Whiteskin, they start with learning how to checkmate the king, because that's the objective of chess. So you have to start with that end goal in mind and work backwards from there, and then you can identify the steps that you need to, to start with and then that you need to take the next day to get where you want to go. Great advice. Thank you very much for that, Danny Flood, and for being our guest this week on the Borderless Podcast. So it's Danny Flood, author of By Your Own Island, The Ultimate Guide to Breaking Free and Making Your Dreams a Reality. Get it on, uh, get it on Amazon if you want the Kindle edition. We're only talking about $9.99. Also, Open World Magazine, if you want to, well, I'm sure by the time this podcast hits, you'll have completed your, you have, you know, completed raising your funds. But to check it out, it is chock full of great information for those of you who are interested in uh, living an international life and in moving around. So again, thank you very much, Danny Flood, for being our guest on the Borderless Podcast. Yeah, thank you, Jonathan, so much for uh, your contribution. And I hope you enjoy the magazine. I will uh, work as hard as I can to provide a lot of value in the magazine and um, really just trying to feature other stories of people and you know, who are doing these incredible things around the globe. Uh, I've had people, you know, who've taken two-year sabbaticals, people who are digital nomads, people who, uh, this guy John Goddard, who is called the real-life Indiana Jones, who he set, uh, I think, 128 uh, bucket list goals to do before he died, and he achieved, I think, 123 of them, uh, which is really inspiring. So I really want to, like, present these inspiring stories and provide, like, actionable insights, you know, things that you can actually take from each piece, from this podcast interview, 
and that you can apply to your own life. I think that's really important. And hopefully uh, your listeners enjoy this as well and we're able to, to take some value from it, from this podcast. Thanks I so think, much for having me. I, th- I, I think you can count on that. Thanks again for being on today. <laughs> Yeah, it was great having Danny Flood on the Borderless Podcast. We really appreciate him coming on bright and early there in Bangkok, Thailand. So uh, if you would, if you've been enjoying these podcasts, we really would appreciate it if you go over to iTunes and uh, rate and review us. Also, get involved in the Borderless Society, borderlesssociety.com. Thanks so much for listening as always, and another Borderless Podcast will be coming up soon. Thanks for joining us for the Borderless Podcast, traveling, investing, and living beyond borders.